0: Ourselves a favor and get some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the MMA edition as we set course for your eardrums with a rocket ship of sound and sensationalism, known affectionately in these parts as that performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice you hear, and you better believe that I'm back, baby. I back.
1: Trust me, I back.
0: We got another big show planned for you We're... as I welcome back the one, the only, Muhammad King Moe the Wall, the preview Saturday's UFC 215 card from Edmonton and recap the week that was in the world of mixed martial arts, including the latest on John Jones, Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, and much, much more. So get ready to smell what the hottest tag team in all of MMA is cooking. It has a beautiful aroma that arouses me. But before I tag in his Royal Highness, let me remind you to spread that word on social media for the ITC using the hashtag in this corner. And feel free to slide in them DMs at B Campbell CBS with your questions, your comments. We will read them on the show. Look, if you want to pick King Mo's brain about the world of combat sports, this is your power hour to do so. So send those questions along. Let me also urge you one final time, if you like what you hear on today's show. Say something. I want you to head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, review. It only takes one minute, and it means more to this show than you may realize. But with the business behind us, let's get this party started. Enjoy. Back again on In This Corner with King Mo Muhammad Lawal on location in Las Vegas, but he's still getting up early with us. King Mo, we got so much to talk about. How are you doing this week?
1: I man, I'm doing good, man. You know, how about yourself?
0: Doing great. It's a UFC 215 fight week, Edmonton, Alberta. Pretty good card. We're going to be breaking that down, getting into the bigger matchups. But, you know, for a dead week, late summer, there's like a lot going on in the world of MMA. It's like trying to corral these headlines, the stuff we're going to talk about. It's like one thing after another. It's a, it's a, it's a busy time in the fight world. And King Mo, a lot of pro wrestling, boxing, a lot of crossover right now. It seems like we're all related, all these fight sports this month.
1: You know, hey, combat sports, we're all cousins in a sense. You know, Um, we're all somewhat related. We all take little pieces of everything, especially in martial arts, we take little pieces of pro wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, and that's you know makes mixed martial arts in sense.
0: Yeah, just a just a week removed from Mayweather McGregor, it's like we we mixed all of uh we we made a happy marriage out of all of it. But uh, we'll see in these headlines, we got a lot of things crossing over. The first headline of the week did come an update on the John Jones situation from the failed drug test from UFC 214. We find out this past week that he did pass a post-fight drug test, but it was a blood test. Initially, that made you seem like, okay, well, maybe the test that he failed after the weigh-in was an error. Maybe it was, a, you know, so, some sort of situation. Then you find out that what he got popped for, the steroid turinobol, doesn't show up in blood tests, only shows up in urine tests, which he got caught with right after the weigh-in the the day before UFC 214. All interesting situation here that sort of, feels like it digs a deeper hole. Now, John hasn't talked publicly, but Chael Sonnen did come out, and we love Chael. He loves to to tell it like it is on the MMA Hour this week and basically threw Bones' entire career into question off of this and talked about their 2013 fight. I want to tell you this quote he said. He said, all I can tell you is I had a higher juice concentrate than Tropicana in that fight, and he pushed me around like a Mack truck versus a Volvo. So I think for the better part of his career – that seems to be how it works, end quote. We know Sonnen and Jones fought in 2013 at UFC 159. Jones uh, destroyed Sonnen. This is an interesting question to me, King Mo, because this is trending negatively, trending downwards for Jon Jones. Does this bring his whole career into question, this you know, back-to-back drug pops in back-to-back years here?
1: Well, he could, but at the same time, no one knows until the B samples tested.
0: So is that That's our missing you know. link? Is that our missing link right now? Until we can fully, I guess, you know, do we, do we have to reserve judgment until that point?
1: Well, I would say so because I've seen cases where a person filled a test and then they tested B sample. The B sample came back negative. So let's just wait. Really, you know, it's a waiting game because now everybody's like speculating. Everyone's bringing up this, this, that, and with the speculation, and all of a sudden, you hear more stuff like, "Oh, I knew this. I knew that." Well, no one knew anything. No one knows anything until the final result of the investigation is over with.
0: And you give Daniel Cormier credit. He is the one all along. You know, he suffered the knockout loss to Jones in late July, but he's the one that's saying due process. Give Jones his time. We haven't heard from Jones. He's been very quiet. It's going to be interesting to see because this does affect so much of his legacy, like we've talked about in recent weeks. And you've got Demetrius Johnson, you know, coming back and headlining this week's UFC 215 card. And if Jones's career is fully tainted by this experience, it suddenly reopens the door to the idea that Mighty Mouse, you know, he might be the greatest of all time in some people's eyes. It's interesting how much this Jones situation affects where we look at everybody's rank in history.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah, but it, that's true, but at the same time, it's going it to be the fans in the long run. It's always going it to be the fans, because, like, right now, we're all saying one thing, you know, or, you know, or with different things, but in about six, seven years, there might be a consensus to where people might be like, you know what? John Jones is the greatest. So they like, you know what? Dan Cormier is the greatest. You know what? I like Anderson Silva. Or, hey, Mighty Mouse is legit, you know? Like, it just, it's going to come down to later on in the future when it comes down to legacy. Yeah. Because the thing about this right now, Randy Couture, we heard Randy Couture was the greatest. We heard BJ Penn's the greatest. We heard Jens Pulver is one of the greatest. We've heard Fader is one of the greatest. Um, Igor Vachachin is one of the greatest. Um I don't know how many greatest I've heard in MMA. You know, Hoist Gracie is one of the greatest. Hickson, Gracie's is one of the greatest. Saka Robs is one of the greatest. Brandley Seals is one of the greatest, but it just comes down to the time because now you see we're like 15 years removed from the pride days and no one's talking about it. No one cares. That you know, spe- what?
0: yeah that speaks to the evolution of the sport it's like if you think about it, it we're still in such an infancy per- infancy period of this sport I mean the, the sport really only was birthed in the early 90s so it's like you mentioned yeah. for a stretch it was like Hoist Gracie was God he was Babe Ruth now we almost yeah. look at him as like this you know basic early figure in MMA and you look at the evolution it, it is interesting you make a good point 10 years from now will we even be considering today's top guys in that greatest of all time conversation it's worth the yeah,
1: it. yeah it's you know the the sport the demographics of the sport is so young and a lot of people on the on the sport live the internet and these people live on the internet you know um they just kind of just just follow the trends but that's because it's so the sport's so young give it time when you see more kids and more people and more families participating in mixed martial arts or doing the training then you're going to hit you see more people educated on the sport and then you'll see you know a true like pound for pound list You know, in a
0: sense. Yeah, when is going to be the – you know, we should be nearing upon the first generation of athletes who essentially – Grew up with UFC in their life from the very beginning, right? Like we're, we're we're pretty much on that verge. The idea of a of a child growing up in their early stages and taking mixed martial arts uh, classes from the very beginning and saying I want to be this, right? You you know we grew up saying we wanted to be NBA all stars, right? Now you you can you can grow up with 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 that idea different than just boxing or different than just one discipline. The idea of raising yourself to be a full mixed martial artist it leads me to ask this interesting question, Kingbo. We saw. The trends evolve over time. Like in the, you know, in the in the '90s, if you had strong jiu-jitsu game, you could dominate. In the early to mid 2000s, it seemed like wrestling was the base. If you were, you know, think of Matt Hughes when his initial rise to be to being considered among the, you know, the MMA's all time great with that wrestling base. Is there a discipline that we haven't even thought of yet, or an evolution of a discipline that ten years from now we might go? This is the prototype of how you want to be to be a star at MMA.
1: I don't believe it'll be a discipline. I believe what it will be is, a, like, you'll see, you'll see a trend where all these kids are doing mixed martial arts young, right? And they'll be, you know, the fights won't be as good because, you know, everybody be so well-trained and they're defensively better, you know? So the fights will be more tactical. But what will happen is there'll be a Cuban or an Iranian or an American or a Russian coming from an amateur, a good amateur back have an amateur background in wrestling or judo or something like that, be a great athlete, kind of like Ronda Rousey was with the, with the women, and come in and, and wreck shop. That's what's going to happen because you're going to see like, a lot of these kids now doing mixed martial arts training are just doing mixed martial arts training. They're not doing football, basketball, track, track and field. They're not building, them, they're not building their athletic, athletic skills. They're just working on mixed martial arts, which will make it more technical. But if you want to work on your explosion, your speed, your agility, your timing, you can to do other sports as well.
0: That's, that's a good point. You mentioned Ronda Rousey. That's the transition to our next bit of news. We talked last week. The former UFC champion appears headed toward a WWE run. We know she's showed up on the WWE network these past weeks during the May Young Classic, the 32 women's tournament that they are unveiling. Her good friend Shanna Baszler it reportedly makes the finals of this tournament, gets a good push. Well, WWE released a social media video in the past 24 hours that essentially confirms that Rousey's future is in the WWE. The video was shot at that May Young Classic, which was pre-taped in July. We'll see the finals live on September 12th. But in the video, Rousey and two of her four four horsewomen teammates from, from her past MMA days were being interviewed about Baszler's victory. And who walks in on the shot but WWE's own four horsewomen, three of the four. Sasha Banks not present, but it was Bayley, it was Charlotte Flair, and it was Becky Lynch. And I would say I'm going to use the word awkward is the best way to describe the trash talking that came on from here. There was some giggling and eventually Ronda made a serious face, bit down, basically said anytime, anywhere. The interesting thing here, King Mo, is the WWE stars were the one who backed away. Ronda closes the video by saying, well, not here. You know, we're waiting for you whenever you want it. What was your reaction to seeing this is this is the beginning, right? This is the start of an actual angle here with Rousey.
1: Well, you know, um, they're planting the seed. You know, um, Rhonda's supposed to go through wrestling school. but well, You know, I'm pretty sure she's probably been doing wrestling training, so I'm pretty sure if she's been do- going to wrestling school for the past six, seven months, which who knows? She, um, If she did that, she'd be ready to do a match, you know, because whoever is wrestling with her to really guide her through. But I think that they're doing a good thing. You know, Rhonda is getting the name back out there. Um, I think that it's going to be interesting to see what creative does with this whole situation.
0: That's the key, right? So, Rhonda, you know, there had been reports that she'd been training in a Southern California wrestling school. Maybe the same one that Jessamine Duke, who was one of her four horsewomen uh, uh, teammates during this during this clip, has been training as well. We'll see. You know, Triple H wouldn't confirm. Nobody will confirm. But it, 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 it all signs lead you to believe Rousey is training. But it's how they present this creatively that's going to be the key. Because I use the word awkward because, you know— Three of the six girls were giggling at the start of this little clip. Rousey gets serious out of nowhere, and you saw the WWE stars back down. You, you've you got pro wrestling experience. You know how this stuff works. Is that the best way to realistically show it that the established WWE stars would back up in Rousey's presence, giving her legit shoot fighting background?
1: Well, yeah, it, it makes no sense. Um, I had the same situation with Roddy Piper one time. You know, some guys put me over, and he was like, Hold on, why are they putting you over? And then. I was listening. to he's talking to him because like, he's like, you will have, have no experience in the game. And which he, everything he said made sense. I'm, I'm, not, I'm a rookie in the game. Yes, I am. But he's like, but you're respectful towards um, to all, the, all the other wrestlers. And then finally, when, when he walked off, someone was like, you know what? It's all good. You're a legit, you're a legit shooter. So we're going to put you over because you're legit. You know, uh, if we were to actually fight right now, no one out there in the pub would believe that, you know, that I could beat you. Because you're not, you're a trained fighter. So now, if you think about the situation anytime, anywhere, and the girls like back down, yeah, think about it, it can become a street fight. In a street fight, those three are outmatched by the three, four horsewomen.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. That if this is supposed to be presented as a fake shoot, if it was a real shoot, they would all tap out probably within, you know, within 30 seconds. That's what's interesting. Because the problem with Rousey's cohorts is they don't have the name value yet that she does to make them believable to go up against a Charlotte, a Becky Lynch. I mean, Shayna Baszler is going to get the, it seems, the push from this tournament. There's rumors that the winner of this tournament will be handed the NXT Women's Championship because Asuka, the great NXT champion, suffered a broken collarbone in her last match. She's headed to the main roster when she does come back. That would stamp Baszler. If she wins this tournament and she wins the belt, that would give her a bit of legitimacy, but her other two teammates are going to need that push and the other interesting thing that kind of is you know pertains to this is Becky Lynch of course is is dating a UFC fighter in real life. Well, uh, what's his name? Luke uh bad research on my part. Is it it's it's a uh, Luke something and she's been involved in that community to a certain degree and
1: she's been well, treating... Wait. Well wait class, Luke.
0: I got to you know we do this in real time. Uh, this is something I will look up, but she's been Luke Sanders. She's been talking about uh maybe getting into an angle with Cyborg Justino. And Cyborg is constantly tweeting at Becky Lynch, and they're going back and forth. You haven't seen WWE activate this yet. But let me present this scenario for you, King Mo. Let's say Cyborg does cross cross the street one time and do a WWE shoot scenario angle. Is this the only way we'll end up seeing Cyborg versus Rousey, which is the MMA dream fight that we wanted for years?
1: Well, I think what will happen is it'll be a one-time thing with Cyborg. It has to be a one-time thing. She's still under UFC contract now. You know, now, what you say about the other two um, four-horsewomen? Um, um, Jasmine Duke and Marina. Um, Sheff- I can't say her last Schaffer. name. Shafir. Sheff- yeah. Now Marina, she's a Roger strong, so they could they could easily throw her in and make some, make her name value stronger. It'll be good. it'll be done with Jasmine Duke how they how they um how they promote her and package her because her record in the UFC wasn't that good because I feel like she got moved up too soon. But she had a lot of promise when she first, you know, turned pro, but I think she's got thrown the wolves too soon. But they have to figure out how they could package her and what they can do with her to make her on the same level as the other three.
0: Well, she's got a pretty sweet uh, sleeve, tattoo sleeve on her left arm. That'll help her in the look at the very <laughs> least. Moving on this week in Combat Sports, King Mo, the Mayweather-McGregor pay-per-view numbers are not in yet. And that, that whole process always intrigues me that, that it takes so long that sometimes the networks don't want to release the numbers, right? UFC never releases their numbers, but then suddenly if there's a really good number, it leaks out there, right? No release yet, but what we do know from the trends is that Mayweather-McGregor is on pace to break the Combat Sports rec- record, which was was, of course, Mayweather Pacquiao from 2015, 4.6 million pay-per-view buys, which at the time, let's remember, almost doubled the boxing, you know, the combat sports record before that. This just proves what we all knew coming in, that Maymac was a massive promotion that crossed over to so many different categories Of the regular everyday people The people that don't even watch fight sports This was sort of the perfect storm The perfect fight at the perfect time To get everybody to bite down And spend $100 If this eclipses 4.6 million Like they're saying And approaches 5 Is that any form of surprise for you? Is that right where you thought it would fall in?
1: Well, I had no idea where it'd fall I just knew that um, People in America Tend to be pretty stupid sometimes (laughs) You know I'm, I'm, I'm stupid too I fell for a lot of stuff too So, you know But, um Promotion and hype, you know, especially when you got Mayweather, who's a genius at that, and same through the UFC, working together, you know, it's gonna do, it's about to do big numbers. And uh, both, both English speaking, Connor has a good look, because you know, with Pacquiao, Pacquiao just had the Asian, pop, you know, the Asians backing him pretty much. Now Connor had most of the United States, most of Europe, and all the UFC's ba- all the UFC fans backing him. Connor so, was
0: like the perfect antidote for every American fan who hated Floyd, who had been programmed to hate Floyd. It's like, well now right. we got this crazy trash talker we could put our money behind. Like I think that's why Connor, every every bet that came into Vegas for months was all yeah. for Connor. I think that explains it.
1: And as you look at it, Floyd fought uh aged Mexican in Del Hoya, black vs Mexican, good rivalry. Then somehow it became Black vs Asian, a great rivalry now. Then the per the best robbery was Black versus Irish. Yeah, that's a good and, point. Irish and, can talk. And, and, and it was black versus Irish, and it was MMA versus boxing, but you saw less that MMA versus boxing until after the fight. Before, for a while, you saw MMA versus boxing, then all of a sudden it turned black versus white in you know, an awkward situation. Then, you know, you couldn't do USA versus Ireland because no one really cared for us in the United States. But then after the fight, it was MMA versus boxing. So now on my timeline on Facebook, all I see is you know, MMA fans saying, "Well, boxers, if you think that... You know, boxes superior to MMA. Floyd wouldn't last one one minute in the, in the cage, which we all know. And then you see Boxers say, MMA fans, if you think Connor did good against Floyd, you're delusional. Floyd gave away the first three rounds. But the thing is, when it's all said and done, both sides are still talking about the fight. That's
0: a good so point. So they, they
1: did a great job. They did a great job hyping it.
0: Now, you mentioned the uh, general public is kind of dumb at times, and I think that's a great point because we're, we're still in the reality TV era the last 15, you know, years where the cheapest, most ridiculous television sometimes gets the most viewers, so I think it's maybe no surprise that this fight, which had a lot of, like, almost scripted reality, almost pro-wrestling to it, yeah. it's like the... Like I said, it's like the biggest guilty pleasure you couldn't avoid. But let's spin this forward on business now. Now, the MMA record for pay per view buys is still the second Conor McGregor Nate Diaz fight from last August. UFC, again, doesn't report their numbers officially, but it was uh, supposed to be around 1.65 million. Now, for the, how good Mac sold, people are thinking UFC may have pocketed upwards of 50 million for being a part of the promotion for allowing Connor to fight. That's great for them. That's great cash that they need at this time. Obviously, though, they want to approach these type of numbers with an MMA-only fight, right? Like, they don't want to use boxing in the future. What possible realistic MMA dream fights are there right now among active fighters that could break that 1.65 Connor Nate rematch record? That could approach 2 million buys, which would be a first for an MMA. When I hear that question, the first thing I think of is Connor McGregor versus GSP. But GSP going up to middleweight kind of hurts that equation. I thought maybe we could have done Connor GSP at welterweight later this year. Maybe that would have been the first fight that can push 2 million. What do you think?
1: I don't think so. Um, I think it could, but I, I, I really don't know how many people would actually give Connor a chance of beating George St. Pierre at 170.
0: I mean that's um, a good point. Even though GSP did sort of mention out of the side of his mouth that he could make lightweight if he wanted to, but who in their late 30s moves down in weight successfully? That's not usually a good proposition.
1: It's not. You saw Chris Bird try it with the when he went from heavyweight to like heavyweight, and he got beat by Sean George. Sean George, not um, yeah, he sent him yeah. to hell. That
0: was a rough fight yeah. for him.
1: It was rough. Um, but I think you know if you want to do a big fight, you do. Uh, if 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 Connor and Nate fight, and Connor wins, you have Nick versus Connor.
0: Now that is good matchmaking, and Nate never won. There was always the thought that like Nick would never fight Connor because Connor was Nate 's money fight. But if you get through the trilogy, Nate's you know chances of, of money are over in that regard, and by the way, a third Connor Nate fight would, could probably be the one that approaches it if you're using the idea that connor 's brand is never higher or bigger than it is now coming off of Floyd. Maybe Connor, Nate three can do 1.7, 1.8 million, but we're talking about something that can push even further. With the right trash talk build, I never underestimate Nick Diaz. He's that crazy, right? Like, with people just love to see a guy who presents himself that crazy.
1: Well, yeah, but here's the thing, though. We're talk, Remember we talked about trends um, a few minutes ago? Well, I have been feeling the trend with the trash talk is going to die down soon. Because, for, you know, you saw the trend in boxing, the pay-per-views. Like, you guys try to get Ali trash talk? Then you had, like, people that didn't try trash talk because people want to see action. They saw Mike Tyson come through. Then they saw, they saw this. They saw Roy Jones talk a little trash. Then after, after Roy Jones stepped away, people were full of action. Tarver talked a little trash, but you saw more action. Then Adrian Burner came in, talked trash, and you saw Errol Spence and Terence Crawford. Those guys showed action. Then Floyd, Floyd came in, sold a lot of pay views and people. And a lot of most of the fights, people were like, oh, it was boring. Even and the funny thing with the Conor fight. Like I heard people say, um, that that was the best Floyd they've ever seen. But then I heard we talked to people that watch boxing. They're like, that four we saw wouldn't even be a top eight. Yeah, that
0: Floyd may have been washed up. Like we saw a washed up version of Floyd.
1: Now, so now you know people are like you know what? I want to see action. The talk is good, but I want to see action. So if you can, if you can get a guy like like Nick that's proven to go out there and fight, do it. You know what I'm saying? People, you know, you can, you can sell a fight only for so long. But if you have guys just talking trash over and over, like what's the UFC you see now? Everyone's talking trash to sell fights it kind of doesn't look as believable anymore. Everybody's doing the same thing.
0: That's a fair point. You can sell the idea of a fight for only so long then you have yeah. to come through and deliver. Then then people want to pay for the actual meat. They want to see the fighting. Speaking of f- trash talking and the potential of a fight, this is a good enough transition to get into the fact that Paulie Malignaggi will not stay out of the news cycle right now, King in Boxing or MMA. Look, we know he wants that big money fight against Conor McGregor, even though he's running his mouth and saying, I'll do it for free. Paulie's not going to do it for free, right? But he wants a boxing pay-per-view against Conor McGregor. The problem is he's kind of been running his mouth so much that he's starting to pick. Piss- Off the MMA community, not just journalists, but now fighters. It's been a pretty vicious week on Twitter for Pauly, probably a calculated week for him in terms of drawing up interest for his name, but he's now got Tony Ferguson, Max Holloway coming at him. He's got MMA uh, journalists coming at him. He's got Joe Rogan coming back yesterday on his own podcast saying Pauly should basically shut the F up for the stuff he's saying about MMA fighters. Now, the stuff in particular is Paulie put out sort of a haphazard tweet in, in the middle of a trash talk with some fans saying that he would defeat any MMA fi- fighter and then even went as so as far as saying in an MMA cage. Now, I don't think Pauly believes that. I'd have to to guess that it was just part of a trash talk rant, but that's the the tipping point that caused everybody to attack him, even to the point where Max Holloway's calling him Paulina, telling him he wants to take him out. What do you make of Paulie creating this much of a crap storm right now?
1: I don't think... It's, uh, who cares? So, because remember years ago when, when Junior Dos Santos was like, I'll beat Klitschko in the boxing match? Oh, I'll beat Klitschko. I'll go to the fight. I'll and how many boxes do you hear come out say anything? None. Cause it doesn't matter. You know, like if Polly thinks he can beat an a MMA fighter, the cage, great for you. Think it. <laughs> if you if you wanna think it, good. You wanna do it, different story. You wanna attempt it? Whoa, get your head checked. So the thing is like he's just trying to ride the wave try to get the big try get the fight with Connor, which I don't blame him, you know. Who who wouldn't want to do that? But I'm pretty sure Max Holly wants it. I'm pretty sure Tony Ferguson wants it, so all those guys are stepping in because they want that fight as well. So that's a good point. Me, if
0: if Paulie
1: can't, don't... yeah, I mean, Paulie can talk what he wants. You know, if he wants that fight, go ahead. But if he wants to bash May fighters, go ahead. I don't care because you, you're in a different sport. We can bash boxers too, but what difference does it make? Because we're not in the same sport. Like, who's it helping or who's it hurting? Nobody.
0: Well, you, you know, made people... a good point there. If Paulie can't get Connor into a boxing match and he has no other big payday because he's retired, right? I mean, he's past his, his his prime. He doesn't have a lot of power in boxing. Why not try to lure another big MMA name, whether it's Ferguson, whether it's Holloway, you know, to try to get one more payday in a fight. He yeah. believes that he would win easily. Now, he tweeted, Paulie did, at Max Holloway, said, used to have so much respect for MMA before all of this, but these weirdos even have fighters as trolls. That seemed to be another tweet that got people angry, but that's the point, right? He's trying to be a calculated businessman. He's trying to keep this boxing versus MMA MMA narrative, which you talked about. He's trying to keep it going so he can cash in.
1: Yeah, I mean, too, let's be real. Like, you know, um, it's kind of true what he says. If you look at, K, okay, if you look at MMA and boxing, you know, remember, you know, MMA, if you go on, on Twitter and even uh, like social media, you see a lot of characters, people that became authority figures in MMA that were offered just na- offered just weird names. It's hard to explain, but you, I'm not just throwing different people out there, but you see it. But in boxing, like, you have L.A. Seckback. Um, you have the Brazilian Bull. You have Steven the Breadman. But the thing is that like, those guys are more, like, media people. They're not, like, actual fans that right. try to find dirt and pump the dirt out there on, on Twitter, you know. yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, two different demographics, you know, two different styles of, of the fans, in a sense. Because you don't see boxing fans trying to dress like boxers. Or wear like you know boxer uniforms or anything where MMA fans are more fanatical in a sense where they they're willing to do whatever it takes to feel like they're part of that team like they'll go out there and buy a um, a fight a fight jersey or whatever you know what's that fight kit Reebok or, fight but, kit yeah yeah they go out there and do all that stuff you'll see them wear that stuff out you know it's just different it's a different demographic and people have to realize let Polly talk Tyson Fury talk say beat, remember he said he beat Kane years ago interview say beat he you know you have Tony Bell, you saying he wants to fight me. It's Everyone's trying to make money. You, you see Cyborg says she wants to fight Cecilia Brockhouse. You know what? Talk is cheap. Let him talk. But it means nothing until someone falls through with something.
0: You did make a good point though. The MMA fan base seems to be seems to have a bigger chip on their shoulder in terms of defending the legitimacy of their sport. It's like MMA's accepted now, right? This isn't like yeah. two thousand two where it's trying to get where John McCain's trying to shut the sport down and Dana White is pumping money in to try to save this dead sport. Like yeah. it, it's it's accepted now. Yet MMA fans do seem more quick to jump in and try to fight for the sport where I think a lot of boxing fans are like Our sport's kind of in the gutter. We hope it comes out, but we know the issues of our sport more than you do. So, you know, whatever. We're not going to fight you on it. But the idea of boxers and MMA guys crossing over did continue in the news cycle this week when boxing sparring video was released by the aforementioned Ellie Sekbeck, take a step back, of Jose Aldo, the former UFC featherweight king, against Mikey Garcia. Now, to put this into context, Aldo, Flew from Brazil to Southern California, spent a few weeks in the Garcia camp training with Robert Garcia. You want to find out what he's training for? Well, Aldo's manager came out and says Jose has four fights left on his UFC deal. Afterwards, he legitimately wants to make a run into boxing and wants to finish this four-fight deal as quickly as he possibly can with the UFC so he can start a crossover boxing career. King Mo, did you get a chance to peep the Aldo-Mikey Garcia sparring footage?
1: Yeah, I got a chance to watch it. I watched it a few days ago. Do
0: you learn anything from
1: that? Um, I learned that um, Mikey Garcia was just working. We call it work sparring. Um, he wasn't going as hard as he could have. He's just working. Um, he threw a few solid jazz, but everything everything else, he's just working, trying to give um, Jose Aldo a look. It
0: was friendly.
1: It was friendly. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't heated, but at the same time, it was it was Garcia going about 20 percent, twenty five percent. You know, because you know, people don't realize, but if boxers really want to hurt MMA fighters in boxing, or MMA fighters want to hurt boxers in, in MMA, they, all, all we got to do is turn it up. And, you know, what's the point of turning up against a guy that knows least, that's not really educated or not really experienced in boxing? It does nothing for him. But I think he's just in there to spar him and give him a look to help him build his confidence and teach him.
0: All right, let's talk about what we know about Jose Aldo as a striker. Let's say he does speed through the four fights left on his UFC deal and in his early 30s tries to make a transition to boxing. Is there, I mean, can can it be done this quickly outside of one or two fights to use his name? I mean, he's 30 years old right now, you know, had a long run, had a decade of, of unbeaten in MMA, you know, took some damage. But can he make a legitimate transition into boxing and have an impact from what you've seen?
1: Um, if he fights in Brazil, yes.
0: Interesting. Explain that.
1: Fight, yeah. Fight a bunch. Fight yes. yeah. yeah. a, a bunch of local guys in Brazil. Bullish named Brazil, you know, because if he tries to fight, like he'll be fighting at 140, 147. Mm, there's some killers there. There's some killers there, and I, I, you know, I don't think he's ready just yet. But if you put his record up, fight in Mexico, you know, fight in Brazil, he can go back to Brazil and just be a, a local hero and fill out venues in Brazil.
0: He doesn't have a big enough name as Connor where if he's going to make his pro boxing debut, you make it a giant event. You're right. Maybe it'd be better for him to fight a padded run, right? Get experience, pad up a resume, go 15 and 0 with with 13 KOs in boxing against a bunch of nobodies to give himself the confidence, the experience. If he did choose Robert Garcia as a trainer, he could do a lot, you know, he could do a lot worse, right? Like that's a that's a pretty good connection, pretty good relationship to pick.
1: The great list out there in Oxnard, California. You know, I'm the Garcia family, the Garcia clan. They're legit. Um, I just think that if I were Jose Aldo, I would just, um, if he wants to box, you know, chase his dream. But I would just fight most of his fights in Brazil and just beat the Brazilian champion of boxing. And then when it's time to cash out, try to get you a big fight overseas somewhere, get you a big fight in America or get you a big fight in Germany. Try to do something and cash out because. You know, you ain't trying to be in this game forever.
0: Sounds like a fight plan. It sounds like King Mo the Promoter just came out. Maybe King Mo Promotions? What do you think? I'll be your publicist. We got a future here.
1: Uh, No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm good. All right. For Jose
0: Aldo's (laughs) MMA future, his – Uh, Coach did say they want to come back for UFC 217 in New York in November and are literally willing to fight anybody to just get on the card. It also seems like they are just trying to get through the four fights left. Not a surprise for me because Jose Aldo basically tried to walk out of his UFC contract just a year ago, right, when the UFC booked... Conor McGregor into a rematch with Nate D. I'm sorry, after that rematch, when they booked a fight with Eddie Alvarez, which was in New York City last November, that was the final straw for Aldo, who had been looking for that Conor rematch. He basically said, look, I was your first and only featherweight champion. I was unbeaten for 10 years. I suffered a freak knockout to Conor. Why am I not getting the immediate rematch that every other big-name UFC champion had been given? He tried to get out of his contract. He threatened going into boxing. Earlier this year, when... Floyd and Connor was first announced. It was Aldo who said, Let me fight on the undercard. Let me fight Miguel Cotto. So he's been sort of floating this idea for a while. Before we move on from this, do you think Aldo had a case back last year when he was upset at UFC matchmaking for not giving him that rematch? Do you think he deserved it? Or do we just say, Look, you only draw so much money. This is a business step back and let Connor, you know, be our, our ticket that we're going to cash?
1: Well, here's the thing, right? My big thing is like, I'm going to talk about the business part. I feel like, um, hold on, interesting. I feel like too many people, especially like, like what in the media? Okay, you talk about business. Yes, because we talk about the business and we talk about the fans. I so talk about everything, but I feel like too many fans are out there saying it's business. You know, let the UFC do their business. Well, who cares? about, if you're a fan, who cares about their business? Just care about them entertaining you. You know, that's how I see it. And then the second point I have to make is, if I were Jose Aldo, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be real mad because. For a while, when Jose Aldo was on top of 145, people wanted to see him fight Anthony Pettis or somebody else at 155. And people thought that Jose Aldo could be the first double champion.
0: Good point. And, and the UFC didn't let and, him do it, but they let Conor do it. They,
1: yeah, they they wouldn't even give him a chance. They want. But I just think because you know Jose Aldo didn't look the part, you know, like they want is you know, and doesn't it speak speak English. And granted, Jose Aldo, if he would have fought at won the belt at 145, 155. We could have seen a super fight, maybe at 170, him and somebody else. Who knows? But he never had a chance to do that, to make that money or or to generate that type of buzz. Because he could have done that if he would be, if he would have won the belt 155, and then challenged George at 170, he could have been the big star right now, so the Because then he might have gained more swag, been forced to learn more English faster, and you know, um, you know, things could have changed, been different for him as far as money and start stardom and everything. But the UFC wouldn't give him the opportunity, and I i not blame him for being mad. I mean, there's certainly all.
0: precedence. I mean, BJ Penn goes on that wrong, long, lightweight run, loses to Frankie Edgar, gets the immediate rematch. We've seen it time yeah. and again. I think he made good points on sort of what Aldo did not bring to the table from a business sense. But, you know, I like him taking control of his own career and saying, okay, UFC, you're not going to please me. Financially, or in terms of matchmaking, to the level I think I deserve, I'm going to go. I, I'm going to go into business for myself. I can't hate that. But let me. One other thing came out of this Jose Jose situation was when McGregor did lose to McGre- to Mayweather last Saturday night. On Twitter, Jose Aldo's account came out with an emoji of the laughing smiley face with the tears coming down. Well, a few days later, he said that wasn't me. That was my team. He basically said every fighter has people that run their social media. King Mo, you're a fighter with a big social media presence are we as fans and journalists supposed to believe that most fighters aren't actually tweeting their own tweets or at least having knowledge of what's coming out on their fighter accounts
1: well i just think it depends on the fighter because with me i have someone that helps me and you can tell the difference between my 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 tweets or instagram posts and my friend that helps me post you know so i feel like you know like look at, look at Derek lewis i'm pretty sure it's Derek lewis you know um on Instagram and Twitter, you know, tweeting funny stuff. Um, but you know, I, it's true. A lot of a lot of a lot of fighters just don't care for social media. They don't, don't they don't live on it, and they just try to do the bare minimum. But then they have other people that help them stay active on social media as well. So, well, I think yeah, it's, it's true.
0: It's different if you're a cyborg, a BJ Penn, a Jake Shields, where you can tell their Twitter account is mostly run by another website that's trying to, you know, put out links that's trying to get traffic. But I think if you're a fan, you want to believe that when it's an opinionated tweet, when it's an emoji of a of, of a smiley face crying, you want to at least believe if, if this is a work or a shoot that that's your favorite fighter saying what he's saying, right? You want to hope that, that the fighters control it to a certain degree. I, you know, that, that's my take on that.
1: No, you, you want to believe that at the same time, like fans got to believe that fighters are also people that do other things. We just don't, we just don't, you know, we don't just live in the rent in the, in the, in the, in the gym as well. We got families, we do other things as well. So you have to realize we ain't always got time to live on social media, you know? And on top of that, fans shouldn't like, you know, Um, I feel like sometimes fans put too much stock in what other fighters think. Like you shouldn't care what other fighters think. You should care about what you think, because if that's the case, if that's the case, then, you know, I should be like, you know what, buy, always buy my stuff, you know, who cares if I fight, My my fights are boring, <laughs> just buy it, you know, because, I, yeah, I'm going to go decision for the next 10 fights, but you know what, buy my stuff because I feel like I'm the best fighter. So, fan, don't listen to your opinion, just listen to mine, you know, if you're a fan, come with your own 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 opinions, so come with your own thoughts because you know what you like.
0: Well, in in combat sports, it's like trash talk has such currency because fighters are only fighting two, maybe three times a year. You know, they're not appearing every three nights like in the NBA or every weekend like in the NFL season. It's it's so little that when fighters do trash talk, it sort of fills the gap of, of the news cycle before that next big fight. So you just it's like, look, on my Twitter account, if I tweet something, I shouldn't. I could lose my job for it. I'm still tied to it. Whatever comes yeah. out of a fighter's Twitter account, whether they did it or their team, it is tied to them to a certain degree. There's only so many times you can say, you know, I was hacked or that wasn't me, right? You got to, you got to... No, hack- no,
1: it's true. You, you have to accept-, accept responsibility for what comes out of your Twitter, but at the same time, like, if you're a fan, I wouldn't put too much stock in what, what fighters say on Twitter because at the same time, fighters can lose their jobs on Twitter, so they can't always come out with the truth. Sometimes they come out there and sugarcoat stuff they come up with something that's like politically correct, so they won't offend nobody.
0: That's a, that's a fair point. Moving on in our news cycle this week was. Wrestling legend, Ric Flair. I mean, it just crosses over to all combat sports. We, The prayers and the well wishes were out for him during his recent health scare when he was hospitalized for surgery. Organs were failing, it seemed. It seemed, you know, from insiders that he was on the verge of death. Well, he kicked out, King Mo. He refuses to die, and he yeah. came out with a video on social media this week cutting a promo basically against death, wearing a T-shirt that says, I ain't dead yet, mother effers with a link to his website to sell that shirt. How how badass is this guy the Nature Boy for this?
1: The Nature Boy Rick Flair, he is, you know, he's a, a living legend, man. Um, to see like I've heard stories about his life. Um, I know people that have actually wrestled him, wrestled with him. I know people that have picked him up from the airport back back in the Louis, old Louisville territory and just to see him alive knowing all of stuff he's been through and all of stuff he's done. It's pretty impressive. I mean, this guy plane survived crash, a
0: plane crash in the 70s. Drugs, I mean, this guy's... All that stuff. And, and he arrest, never was divorces. hurt. I mean, you yeah. know, we we know he wrestled into his late 50s competitively, but he was like no major injuries. He's really like a freak of genetic nature,
1: right? Well, he had some injuries. Like, um, if you look, this, the, way, the way he hits the ropes, and the way he takes his bumps, not always flat back because he had a back injury. Good point. So he, used to take, he used to take his bumps a little different. He's see to take more front bumps now um, after the, after the plane crash, but... Just to just to see him come back, he's like Willie Pep. Willie Pep came back after a plane crash and we we captured the world title. Ric Flair came back after a plane crash and kept on doing his thing. You know, um, it's pretty impressive. Man. I still there's, think it's... there's
0: an angle for him, right? Like you know, like if you go under kayfabe storylines, him and Cena are tied for the most w, you know title reigns that WWE recognizes at 16. When Cena ever goes to break that, you have to put Flair in the other corner of whoever he's going against and let Flair cheat like crazy. Like it's yeah, just automatic. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know the Nature Boy, the dirtiest player in the game. Um, it's gonna be you know when he, when he passes, it's gonna be like a sad day in, in wrestling. Because yeah, he's a, he's a legend. He, like him, like him, it's where you, you, know, you get the four faces: him, Hulk Hogan, Stone Coast Steve Austin, and you got The Rock.
0: Yep, or Vince you get, McMahon. Was, uh, you know, Vince McMahon. that's yeah, royalty but, right there.
1: Yeah, that's Absolutely. royalty, definitely. Yeah. You know. um, I would say Macho Man Randy Savage, but you know, they kind of pushed him out. You Ultimate Warrior, they kinda they kind of pushed himself right out. Them, but, yeah. yeah, push himself out. But but those four I named, the five, are true royalty in wrestling.
0: All right, a couple more bits as we before we head into UFC two fifteen is uh, former Bell Tour champion Ben Askren, the, who's now the one welterweight champion been fighting in Asia the last few years, taking the big paychecks. He wants to retire after his next match, November 24th in Singapore against Shinya Aoki. Askren is 33. He's 17-0 and in MMA, but he never got that chance to go to the UFC. There was complications, some arguing with Dana White. Now Askren, who has been completely dominant, is willing to walk away. King Mo, uh, this guy's absolutely dominated that B and B plus level competition. If he does walk away for good and never gets the UFC chances, there's some. As a fan, is there some unfinished business? Would you have liked to have seen him against a prime GSP and match his wrestling against that?
1: You know, I love to see Ben Askren fight anybody to get those big paydays and showcase his skills because he's a competitor. He's unique. But, yeah, but the thing is, um, I don't think Dana White wanted to bring him over because. Granted, he was a champion in Bellator and cleaned, cleaned house in Bellator, so it looked bad for him to come to um, the UFC and, and beat people the same way he beat guys in Bellator, easy and not not too violent. Um, I think that you know that that would have hurt the whole UFC marketing, where they're like the best fight here. Well, if Ben Asker comes and beats everybody, the best weren't there; the well, he, best were elsewhere. He was like so an old school specialist,
0: where he just rode his you know his one dominant skill, wrestling, but. Dominated people. I really would have loved to have seen against those elite UFC strikers how good his wrestling would have held up.
1: Well, um, I think it would have held up good because the way he beat Lima, Grand Lima's wrestling got better. Lima is a is elite level striker too. If You watch what he did to Lorenz Larkin. But Styles make fights, so I don't you know him. You know Ben Askren vs Lorenz Larkin would be a good fight because Lorenz has a different type of athleticism and speed. You know, in orthodox style that um, could give anybody problems. MVP, same thing. But you got Wonderboy, you got Masterdawg, you have uh, Robbie Lawler, who's a solid fighter, you know, hard nosed bruiser, solid takedown defense. Roy McDonald. So we, we could have a bunch of great matchups, you know. But um. Just people that wouldn't take were not take the risk in them.
0: Well, hopefully he will uh, consider not retiring and coming to Bellator. I know he was in the crowd at the Bellator NYC pay per view earlier this year. You just mentioned a bunch of names in Bellator where it would make sense. You, I mean, you Ben Askren, Rory McDonald, that'd be one hell of a fight. I hope Ben reconsiders. I hope this is more of a more you know more of a financial sort of move to try to change the negotiations moving forward. But I'd love to see him get that chance. There's always in every combat sport those what if guys that never got to match themselves against the very best where you always wonder, you know, what would it have looked like? This is just one of those guys for me. So hopefully
1: we'll see that. Yeah, definitely.
0: Rounding out our, our combat sports, our MMA news cycle this week is another crossover into pro wrestling. Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling, GFW, began a MMA crossover angle recently involving Bobby Lashley, the longtime GFW and TNA star, and American Top Team, which settles into King Moe's backyard. We're seeing Dan Lambert of American Top Team and, and some fighters, you know, almost an invasion angle into GFW. Now, the cool part about the storyline, the setup is, that Lambert comes in saying, you know, Lashley should be back in MMA. That's where he belongs. He shouldn't be in pro wrestling anymore. And you've got Jarrett, you've got the great Jim Cornette coming out to argue. It seems like we're, we're building a rivalry, even Glyson and Tebow showing up. I mean, we got some, yeah. we got some names here. What, what do you make of all this?
1: You know what? First of all, let me say this <clears throat> boxing MMA kickboxing. Step your game up. Cause pro wrestling is killing you guys right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the storyline, the angle, everything is great, man. It's it's gonna pick up even more. Um, I feel like me personally, Bobby Lash is a teammate, I feel like he should do both, but that's just me. But uh, there's gonna be it's, it's gonna be you know it's gonna be some uh. So big eye-opening things that are going to pop off pretty soon.
0: Well, I like the storyline because it sort of touches on real life because Lashley had been going back and forth to wrestling and MMA, Ben and Bellator. He sort of looked like he was, you know, he, after suffering an early loss in his MMA career, seemed, like, seemed to look like he was on a good run there. This sort of plays into that real life. But, you know, GFW transitioning out of the TNA Impact era hadn't had a – go-to storyline a go-to thing to gain attention after you know the broken Matt Hardy the broken universe mm-hmm. left to go to WWE I mean Alberto El Patron had gone in there Cody Rhodes had a cup of coffee in there for a while but they hadn't had a real hey guys come and check out what we're doing hopefully this will be that storyline because I think it's really interesting and I think Dan Lambert's sort of this like natural heel I mean you see him cutting promos there
1: yeah Dan Lambert is the, one of the biggest wrestling fans out there um you know he's a he is a heel natural heel um um, you should see his belt collection. He's the biggest belt collection.
0: That's what I hear. In, He's you know, got a in member of the, the world. What does he have? Like old ABA, AWA titles. He's got a bunch yeah. of that swag. And
1: everything, whatever we can name. Like he had Ric Flair's first title, I believe. He had The Rock's first title ever won from a, a state fairground. You know. um... He's a big, he's a big wrestling fan, big time.
0: Well, GFW giving us something to pay attention to as we heat up toward the fall. I think the the, the big pay per view is October's Bound for Glory. We'll see how that all plays out. But King Mo, it's time it's to D- get November, 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 4th, November. Good yeah. correction there. Time yeah. to get down to business for this weekend. And this Saturday is the big UFC card, two fifteen from Edmonton, Alberta. Cold Edmonton, Alberta. You ever done some time out there? What's it like out there?
1: Oh man. I've been to Alberta. I've been to a place called Med- Medicine Hat in Alberta. Wow. It's terrible, nothing <laughs> out there. Just 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 grass, rocks, and wind. <laughs>
0: Sounds like the kind of
1: area where Brock Lesnar would build a giant
0: farm and go and go hang out and live, right? I mean, that that seems to be seems to be his it's company. Peaceful.
1: It's peaceful, but you know, I just can't live there. You know, but hats off to them for doing that. Well, the
0: UFC <laughs> will invade on Saturday. Your main event is for the UFC Flyweight Championship, Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Borg. Now the real key here is that Mighty Mouse fresh off a a run of arguments with the with the UFC brass, which, you know, he claims Dana threatened to take you know, to rid themselves of this division, Mighty Mouse arguing and fighting for more money, wanted to fight TJ Dillashaw in sort of a super fight, maybe fight Garber, and He wanted to do some things. Well, no, he's going to defend the belt, and he's going to go for that UFC record for title defenses, breaking the mark of Anderson Silva. This is interesting, King Mo, in that we knew Johnson closing in on this record. I thought, though, that it would come or they would want it to come against a bigger name opponent. And that's not necessarily a slight at Ray Borg, but he's only 24. He's really, you know, only on a two-fight win streak right now, not in in a not necessarily peaking. And we're going to see DJ against him with so much at stake. I thought maybe a third fight with Benavides would have been the right call. Maybe, you know, try to get creative and do a super fight, but this is what we have. What do you make of this matchup on paper, Johnson versus Borg?
1: All right, well, Bork has his hands full. Johnson is a little juggernaut. Um, the thing is this matchup happened because Johnson cleared out the division and the UFC let go of Kyoji Haraguchi, which is a dumb move in my opinion. But you know, is that the um, best
0: matchup available in your eyes? Well,
1: Kyoji, yeah, Kyoji versus uh, Kyoji versus uh, um DJ. Yeah, or Benavides versus DJ. But Kyoji, I feel like, you know, um started you saw him, you saw him improving more. He's got with a good team, the American top team. He's improved, but the UFC just wasn't filling him, and they let him go. So uh, Johnson I defeated
0: Kioji, of course, in 2015 by armbar. Yeah,
1: yeah, with like a minute, actually with the second left in the fight, I believe. Uh, yeah, but you know, Kioji's improved, but at the same time, like Demetrius is went went through and defeat everybody they put in front of him at 125. So you know, it's gonna be it's gonna come to the UFC to find somebody or give him a good enough amount to go up there and fight Cody Garbrandt.
0: I think if once if Johnson wins this, and we expect him to, and look, I say I wanted the Benavides trilogy because Joe Joe Jitsu has been in a tough spot. He's maybe the second greatest UFC flyweight ever, but he just could never get you know never get out of the bridesmaid position. He had, of course, pushed Johnson to the limit in the first title match, go in split de- decision, then lost that rematch by first round knockout. I felt he was deserving coming off the victory over Henry Cejudo, where he looked really good. He doesn't get it. We get Johnson Borg. I think this has to be, though, Johnson's last fight at flyweight for now. You break the record, you, you put yourself at a higher class all time, then you look to move up and do the super fights because there's nothing for him at 125. Johnson has cleaned the cupboard out two and three times over. It's time to match him against a Dillashaw, against a Cody Garbrandt, and cement yourself all time because until we find out what's going on with John Jones and a lot of people still believe Anderson Silva is in that conversation for greatest of all time I have problems putting Demetrius right into that conversation this quickly it's not that he hasn't been dominant it's not that he hasn't had this great run I just need maybe a little bit more I felt like if he went up to 125 and beat a Dillashaw or beat a Garbrandt then you would have a hard time King Mo saying Johnson could be the greatest we've ever seen
1: Well I don't know I, you know to me like yeah. I feel like if you want to stay at that weight class and fight 125, stay there. Just beat whoever they put in front of you. That's the UFC's issue. You now if you want to go up to get a super fight, do it, you know, for as long as they're paying the right amount of money. Because um if you look at John Jones, they're gonna call him the greatest of all time, but how many times have you seen him go to heavyweight? Good you point. Know, you know what I'm saying? GSP, they say he's the greatest one of the greatest of all time. How many times have you seen him before that go up to one eighty five? I
0: think now, there's a stigma against flyweights in the end, right? There is yeah, kinda
1: there's a stigma, but at the same time, Mighty Mouse at one thirty five of, of of originally he it was too small. Um he's uh, you know, he was a small guy that fought one thirty five 135 had success, but one twenty five is really the weight class for him. Now as far as matchups, the best person the person that only the only person really ever pushed Mighty Mouse, honestly, was Ian McCall. Ian McCall's first fight with him. I thought like Ian McCall won that first yeah, fight. Yeah, good point. You know? So, um hopefully Ian can heal up and uh get a streak going and, and they can uh, bring that
0: back again. Yeah, Ian was on this show a couple months ago, and, and you know he's got some problems coming back from, from some of the, the brain issues, from some of the concussions. You know He doesn't know if he'll ever fight again. He hopes to get a chance to if he can get himself cleared, but he certainly had a run that was interrupted by some by his own doing in his personal life, some by the, the accumulation of damage from fights, but he definitely seemed like a guy that can push Johnson. Hey, do the rematch with Dominic Cruz, right? That's the only guy to beat Demetrius Johnson. It came at 135. I wouldn't mind seeing that a second time. But,
1: you know. Yeah, yeah just, just make sure they pay, him, pay the man because he is giving up a lot of weight. He give up a lot of size because I'm pretty sure he don't cut much weight to make 125. I know he didn't cut no weight to make 135, so you got, you got, he's going to be fighting guys that are going to easily have 15 pounds on them come fight time, if not more.
0: Well, Ray Borgs, he's aggressive. He's going to try his best. I just think he's, like everyone else, I think he's outgunned. Outmatched.
1: On yeah, he's outmatched.
0: Outmatched on talent. The co is the fight I am most excited for. It is the rematch. Women's Bantamweight Championship. Amanda Nunez, Valentina Shevchenko. We thought we were going to see this rematch at UFC 213 in July. Nunez pulled out, of course, the day before after a hard weight cut. She had an illness. She got ripped by Dana White for it. Well, we're finally going to see this. They fought once before before Nunez stopped Misha Tate to win that title at UFC 200 when she submitted her. They fought at UFC 196 in March of 2016. Interesting three-round fight here, King Mo, because there's a lot of people who watch that, watch Nunes dominate the first two rounds, but then seem to really run out of gas late. And that's sort of informing a lot of people's opinions that maybe Shevchenko is going to win this rematch, and that's why she's the betting favorite. What did you learn from their first fight, watching it at UFC 196?
1: Well, I learned from the first fight. Well, just uh, Amanda, you know that first fight she won, but she g- she gassed out in the third round. Yes, but that's not the same Amanda that that's been, that I've seen at the gym lately. She's more confident, um, more relaxed, and people you have to realize as a fighter, if you're relaxed and you're confident, you can you can control the pace of the fight. Then guess what we can fight for hundred rounds. And one thing that's gonna be good about this fight is that Valentina doesn't she's a, she likes to take second. She's a counter puncher. She's not really aggressive. So if any worst case scenario, Amanda could pace herself, pick her apart, outwork her, get a few takedowns here and there, and just build a big enough lead to where, okay, if she if she gasses out, she can just hold on. But I don't think I don't feel like she's gonna gas out. I feel like she's gonna have a good game plan. I feel like she's gonna be in shape for this fight. And I feel like she'll be able to fight a hard five rounds if she needs to.
0: Well, she certainly is going to have to repair the reputation that she's somebody who does gas late. And she hasn't had to repair that in the dominant second round submission over Tate in that Ronda Rousey comeback on December 30th when she blew away Rousey in less than a minute. The key here is that for as dominant as Nunez was in those first two rounds, and let's not forget that second round of that fight against Shevchenko, she sat on her chest basically, bloodied up Shevchenko with elbows, and then nearly submitted her by rear naked choke late in that fight. But, man, Shevchenko, you can call her a late starter. You can call her what you want. But she's a tough piece of business, short, compact, strong, doesn't seem like you can submit or finish her, and she only seems to get better as the fight goes on. It's like the old Greg Valentine joke in WWF. He needs about 25 minutes to get warmed up for the fight. Well, Shevchenko's like that where you'd think naturally a five-round fight is going to favor her when you look at Shevchenko's run since that loss to Nunez. She goes in for five rounds against Holly Holm, punches the counterpuncher, gets a very impressive victory, and then against Juliana Pena earlier this year, which was like the breakout win for Shevchenko. She took advantage of Pena's aggressiveness, used it against her, and submitted her by armbar. And this is what I see from Shevchenko, King Mo. She's not aggressive enough early because she's a natural counterpuncher. She does start late. But she sort of waits for you to make that one mistake, and then she finishes the fight. Or then she puts you in a bad spot. Is there... A way to break out of that personality and be a quicker starter, though, to add to what she already does? Because she seems like she's technically smart and brilliant in there, and she's a, very, she's a student of the game. She doesn't get worn down mentally, even, like we said, when Noon seemed to have her on the verge of going out. Can you speed up the process early and make yourself a complete fighter?
1: Well, the thing is, the thing is like, it's called it's, it's special temperament. It's not about being a complete fighter. It's about your temperament. Now, remember, um, Valentina's really a 125-pounder. Let's be real. She's smaller, so for her to come out very aggressive, she risks the chance of getting rocked and wobbled. True. Sure. So you know, if she goes up there and, and you know just makes the person work for the first two rounds, then she can get her engine going and come on strong third, fourth, and fifth round. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Um, but at the same time, you know, her t- if she's a, if she's fighting at 125, her coming out aggressive would be a little more ideal because she's fighting girls her size. But 135, she's to be more cautious and, and she's a cautious temperament. If you see, she's a counter puncher. So she's very, very counter offensive in a sense. She's not there to get hit. She's there to hit you. She can get a takedown. She'll get it, but she's not the type of person to go out there and take damage. She's out there to go out there, and compete and beat you and then stop you if she can.
0: And it would seem to play into her hands to let this fight go deep and not change her personality, not come out ultra-aggressive, because you've got the five runs to work with. You want to see if you can gas out Nunez. And look, Amanda is very big for a weight. She's got this, the punching power. She's got the wrestling ability, the black belt and jiu-jitsu. This is a really good matchup for those reasons. You said Chevchenko probably belongs at 125. That's probably true. Nunez could easily be at 145. So there's definitely that, that breakdown, that balance here. How do you see this rematch ultimately playing out?
1: Well, it just depends on game plan. You know, um, the man that goes out there usually fights behind a, a good long jab. Throws, you know, um, throws some feints out there and um, gets a man that, uh, gets a shavenko back into the, the cage and secure a takedown. Um, I think she can grind her out, you know, and get victory, possibly stop her. If you go out there and try to be aggressive and reckless, she can get counterpunched and possibly taken down as well. So it's a come down to who has a better game plan. You know, and, who, and who's more patient in a sense? Because if you try to rush anything with either fighter, you can either get thrown to your back or knocked out. So you know, it's, it's your choice. If you want, if you want to be, be tactical, then be tactical. But if you want to be out there, go out there be reckless. You have a chance to get hurt by a, a big right hand by Amanda, or hurt by a good throw or good spinning back fist by Valentina.
0: It's going to be interesting. I kind of have the same prediction I had when Amanda fought for the title against Misha Tate. If it ends early, it's a Nunez victory. If it yeah. goes the full five rounds, I have to like Shevchenko until Nunez can show me that she can go five hard rounds. And she's had sort of that reputation, you know, that goes back to that loss against Kat Zingano where Nunez dominated early but then faded, got submitted late. She's been a true champion, though. She's going to have that chance to turn that reputation around. My prediction is probably Valentina by decision, it going that distance. I think that's why Shevchenko was the betting favorite coming in. But this will be this has a chance to be really good, a very good chess match at the very least, as as they match their skills together. Couple other fights of note on this card: decent weight matchup, Neil Magny against Rafael dos Anjos. Uh, it's sort of the idea of two veterans. We're going to find out who's going to take a step further, step higher in the title picture up that ladder. I want to find out if Dos Anjos is, is ever going to be the same again, though, because remember, he was going to fight Conor McGregor at UFC 196. It was going to be McGregor moving up to lightweight to challenge Dos Anjos for that title. Well, Dos Anjos pulled out. Then he got knocked out by Eddie Alvarez. We, then he had to move up with weight issues to welterweight. Dos Anjos, a credible world title caliber welterweight in your
1: eyes? We'll find out. You know, you beat Neil Magny. You're, you're in the you're in the conversation. Um, Neil Magny is not no joke. Um, great gas tank, good jiu jitsu, solid everywhere. Tall, long, lanky, good range, good good knees. Good, you know, he's solid everywhere. You know, you beat him, you're you're a contender. That's uh, if you don't, then you have to go back to the drawing board and figure out a new way to, to repackage yourself. Because
0: Dos Anjos came off that Alvarez loss and then lost again to Tony Ferguson where he was essentially dominated over five rounds. And that really was the onus to move up and wait. Won a decision over Tariq Safedine, but I'm not yet convinced if Dos Santos is still the same guy when he sort of went on that run out of nowhere to the lightweight title, went on that run, you know, beating Pettis and showing you that this guy is for real. That's why this matchup is good. The other fight on the main card that has my eyes is an interesting featherweight bout. Jeremy Stevens, Gilbert Melendez, it's kind of the same storyline of which guy is going in the other direction and which guy is going to take another run, you know, put their name up there and try to get into the title picture. Do you have a favorite in this one?
1: Well, um, you know, Jeremy's a puncher, um, solid, solid takedown defense, very aggressive. Melendez, good cardio, good, good wrestling, good jujitsu. Um, uh, but, you know, Stevens is younger, been more active lately, but, I like Melinda's, you know, just because of uh, experience in Strikeforce days. Yeah, you know, hey, okay. like good callback
0: you know. there. Yeah, and he's he's more he seems to be more skilled. You know, Stevens is still sort of an all or nothing guy, right? If he doesn't knock you out, is he gonna is he gonna get the victory? But Gill's in a tough spot. Age 35, lost three in a row, including. Four, essentially, four of his last five. Now you look at that, those losses; they're big names, right? It's Benson Henderson, Anthony Pettis, Eddie Alvarez, Edson Barboza. It's all killer, no filler. But you got to start questioning job security if you don't, if you can't get a victory here. How much does that uh, sort of spark a veteran to put forth his best performance?
1: Well, every time you go out to the fight, you try to put, put, put forth his best performance. But this might be extra pressure. So will we get a uh, more conservative uh, Gilbert? Maybe, you know, or we we'll get a to go and go out there and go for the big win. I think that we'll get a more conservative Gilbert that's going to try to go out there and go for the win and, and not take no unnecessary damage because he's facing a dangerous Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens is a dangerous, flying knees, big right hand, left hook. He goes for broke. The go for broke guys are either win, win by knockout, or lose by decision. So, you know, um, Jeremy Stevens, man, I don't know. He has to, um, Gilbert has to keep his head on. Keep his head on right, keep his eyes open, and keep his chin down and, and hands up because he's a tough one right here.
0: Stevens, by the way, has lost five of his last seven. You don't really think about that because he always sort of comes back with a big knockout win when he needs it most. But he's also put together a few losses here. This will be an interesting fight. UFC 215 Edmonton, Alberta. But King Mo, that'll wrap it for us this week. We hit a lot of topics in a short amount of time. Uh, Can the fans keep hitting hitting you up there at King Mo FH on Twitter or what? What's this FH about? Uh,
1: My boy from Fight Height made it up, you know. So I, it's either King Mo at Fight Hype or King Mo at F haters. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He's one of But yeah, if you wanna find me on Instagram or uh, or Twitter at King Mo FH, but you know, other than that, you can find me on here.
0: You can find <laughs> King Mo on in this corner. Hit me up at B Campbell CBS on Twitter, slide in them DMs, fans, bring in your questions for myself or King Mo. You know, we want to hear from you. Kingbo will answer your questions on this podcast. But that was all for the week. That was in the world of mixed martial arts for Kingbo. This is TBC coming at you with two words We out. <laughs>